You're listening to episode 43 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. We regret to inform you that Philip Casey is indeed a squirrel. He is no longer appearing on this show. Kale has uh, warded him off and he continues to go on the hunt. (laughs) So... Are we dealing with Kale Ward, Skrull Slayer now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That seems to be the case. I'd read that cool. comic. I would. Yo, send us in. Send us in the cover. Somebody, somebody, draw that for us. <laughs> <laughs> Kale yeah. Ward. Kale Ward. It's Skrull uh, Hunter. It's just. It's just like the first issue is just Kale, and he's got like Phil's head <laughs> cut off, but it's a Skrull. <laughs> The opening, uh, the opening splash page is like him waking up all groggy and going, Shut up for a minute, Marco. <laughs> <laughs> so if you haven't figured it out by now, uh, Kale and Phil are not on this episode of the show. So Pete, Marco, and I are going to be holding down the fort. Interesting trio. Uh, but uh, I'm excited nonetheless. We're the defenders, bro. We're a series of oddballs who've come together to save the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I would say that the five of us definitely are are defenders-esque. Wait, are there five defenders? It's four. There's like, there's four main defenders. And four in the show. So we're kind of fucked. So... Um, these are all fun little ways that I can now segue into a plug for our brand new YouTube video that you should definitely go check out called Behind the Books, The History of the Defenders. We worked really hard on it, so please go watch it. So uh, now that Pete brings it up, uh, we do have a, a YouTube video out. It's our first piece of YouTube exclusive content that is different than anything else we've done before. Uh, we would really, really appreciate you guys checking that out. As Pete said, we did put a lot of hard work into it. If you are looking forward to or have begun watching the Defenders like we have, uh, then there's definitely a lot that you're going to want to know about the comic book version of this team. And we did a lot of research to inform you guys about the history of the Defenders. So check that out. Uh, definitely leave it a like and a comment. Uh, and let us know if that's the kind of content that you want to see us doing more of. Uh, we've got a lot of ideas. So if we get the kind of feedback that's going to let us know that that's something that our fans want to see, then we'll put our effort into making more of that kind of stuff. So definitely do check it out. Uh, and Oh, and if you have an idea for an episode, definitely let us know. Yeah. And then beyond that, uh, all the usual stuff still applies. You can let us know what you think about the Comics Pals by reaching out to us on iTunes. You can leave us a five-star rating there or whatever rating you feel like leaving us. Of course, it's a five-star rating. Um, and then, of course, we're on SoundCloud and all other podcast hosting platforms. Uh, you can also reach out to us on social media. We are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. So talk to me on there. Talk to us on there. Let us know what you're thinking about the uh, Defenders. If you've watched it, let us know what you think about the first few episodes. No spoilers. No spoilers. We're going to talk about it in a few moments, but we're only one issue or one episode rather deep. <laughs> so uh, don't ruin it for me. Um, and then last but not least, as we mentioned, we are on YouTube. Uh, we've been talking about exclusive content coming, talking about it and talking about it. This is what we meant. 
Uh, it's here. So, and there's more <laughs> to come. So stay tuned. Get to us now. Subscribe so that you're always ahead of the curve when it comes to that stuff. Um, and share it with your friends. If you like this video, share it with your friends. This is the big push. So let people know that we're out there and that you like what we do. Uh, so I mentioned the defenders and I figure now is as good a time as any for us to talk a little bit about the first episode. Pete and I did get the chance to watch that. Marco, you haven't had the opportunity yet, right? Nope. Cool. We'll keep this spoiler free for all of you who, uh, haven't watched still early in the game. So I understand. Um, of course, next week we will be doing a full review and analysis of the first season of Defenders. I don't know if there are going to be more. I would presume so. Um, I would hope so. Yeah. So, Pete, what did you think? First episode. Uh, my first impressions are are really good. You know, I uh, we were talking a little bit about it off mic, but I think this first episode, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of criticism that, like, it's that it's slow and, like, I guess you could make that case that because, like, not a lot happens, you know, there's not a ton of action or anything like that. It's very much a kind of, like, building blocks kind of episode, but it was super enjoyable, you know? It's, like, it's really cool to see these four characters, like, in the same show, you know, and getting to see how their four storylines, which have been coming together, are finally syncing up, you know? Um, and I just, I got a lot of enjoyment out of it. And maybe it was just the the novelty of seeing them all in the same place, but, I mean... It, that's fine if that's just the first episode, right? We needed this. We need to get caught up. Yeah, I couldn't remember where anybody was by the end of their their shows. Uh, so each time that a character was introduced, I was like, "Oh, they're here!" You know, like I like Luke Cage. None of these are spoilers. Luke Cage is in jail, right? And the show ended with him in jail. So I was like, "Wait, why is he in jail? What happened here?" Um, and each time they introduced one of the central characters, I had that reaction. And so if I did, and this is what I do, uh, then I can only imagine the general public. So obviously this was required. And I don't think that anything else would have sufficed. I don't think you could have skipped ahead somehow and just had them together already. I don't think you could have accelerated yeah. it any more than they did. Um, I also wouldn't want that. No. Uh, I like the character dynamics. I liked seeing um, everybody again because these are all characters that I that I really uh, have enjoyed so far, um, and just getting to catch up with them. I like the way that each scene felt like yes, we're in New York or you know whatever, but it felt like that character slice of the world. You know, the Luke Cage scenes were bathed in yellow. You know, there was a lot of yellow in his scenes. Uh, and he's in Harlem. Daredevil is doing his own thing. Or, you know, Matt Murdock's doing his own thing. Uh, you know, like, I just really enjoyed all those interactions. And, I, you know, we haven't talked about it. It's not a spoiler. We know she's on the show. Sigourney Weaver. I'm really interested in where they're going with her. Um, and uh, it seems like we got Phil's theory confirmed that she's Madame Gao's boss. You know, that she's the she's the head of the whatever, you know, stuff we've seen going on over the course of these like films, you know, or shows. Po yeah, possibly. Look, she's definitely she's there's interesting things going on with her. We'll leave the rest for you guys to watch for yourself. Uh, so I really liked it. Slow, but appropriate. 
the word slow, I don't know if that even applies here. It's just what it needed to be, and that's totally fine. And then, of course, like I said, next week we'll come back and we'll give you guys our full spoiler explosion review of the whole deal. So stay tuned for that. Can't wait. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we have some reader mail. All right. So we've got a bunch of comments on the YouTube uh, channel this week, which we greatly appreciate. So uh, again, if you are not checking out our stuff on YouTube, please go do. Um, but so we've got a bunch of comments from uh, Harris Nijinsky, I think is. Harris Nijinsky. Yep. Harris Nijinsky. All right. That's what it looks like anyway. Um, so Harris wrote in on our uh, Spider-Man Homecoming review and he wrote my thoughts of or what I thought of Spider-Man. A day after watching the film, I can only think of a single word. Safe. Now, before the pitchforks and ropes, let me be clear. That safe in regards to this film is exactly as it needed to be. For any fan, casual or not, there's no need for a retread of the origin story. It's too soon for a total reboot. The film needed to be fun, grounded, and simple. It connected on all these points. Brace yourself. I'm going to use some offensive terminology to evaluate the film further. <laughs> the plot is a very paint-by-the-numbers story. Doesn't need surprises, a million Easter eggs, uh, and a useless... Oh, and a useless MacGuffin. It focused on the correct points of maturity, morality, and juggling identity issues. The performances. A round of applause for the casting. Uh, not a single complaint about anyone in their roles. Honestly, I kind of wish the first Shocker would have survived to be another villain later. He played the scumbag really well. Ending. Apt. This includes the first credit scene. This made it feel like a lot of what Peter Parker should be. Uh, very happy he turned down that suit. If anyone complains on why Keaton's Vulture did not reveal Parker's identity, needs to really watch the film again. It follows a certain moral code, which I enjoyed throughout the flick. Going forward, I hope more of Peter's scientific mind is explored. I'm well aware this new version of Spider-Man is a huge amalgamation of Miles Morales and Peter Parker. I'm really looking forward to the follow-up. My only question is, why does Peter Parker have a bunk bed when he only lives with Aunt May? Hashtag not the random question of the week. <laughs> Hashtag let's make it the random question of the week. Why does he have no. a bunk bed? <laughs> why does Spider-Man have a bunk bed? Hmm. We're asking the big questions here, Harris. I appreciate that. Um... So, I, yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything Harris is saying here, honestly. I think, um, I think he's right that, I mean, the movie was safe in a lot of ways, but I think that was the appropriate call. I think the three of us definitely agree with that. If Phil was here, he might argue with you, but. Uh, Sony, uh, Fox. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think that they did anything that was outside of. Outside of what you would expect necessarily from a modern era um, MCU film, I think this is exactly what a Spider-Man movie needed to be. And I don't think there's anything wrong with doing what should be done and not trying to go off the beaten path if there's no reason to do so. Yeah. Especially with a property like Spider-Man that's had such a, like, kind of uneven history, you know, in the films. Like, I feel like... This move, it reminds me a lot of, like, The Force Awakens, where it's like, yeah, like, it is definitely just kind of a retreading of A New Hope, because it's that's the safe thing to do, but that's kind of what we needed. We needed, like, a return to status quo, and I feel like if they do that again for the next movie, that's a different story, but I feel like now they've set the groundwork to do something a little braver next time if they want to. Um, all right, cool. So we've got a couple more comments from Harris. Uh, so... Um, writing in on our episode, uh, this was last week's. So is Netflix buying, uh, Miller World, 
uh, Millar world good for comics. So Harris writes in again and says, my commentary as I listen. Marco slowly turns into David Lynch. Thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. One of, uh, one of the most important modern directors of our time. So I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big compliment, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I would take it. So uh, and then he goes on to say 90s popular characters who were big at the time more than Cable, aside from the clear mainstays. Uh, and he lists Bishop, Gambit, Ghost Rider, Deathlock, Lady Death, Spawn, Omega Red, Harley Quinn, Bane, and Grifter. Yep, Liefeld is full of crap. You guys want to respond to that? Uh, yeah, I don't agree with that. I don't think – I think the only person – I think the only character you could make an argument for is Spawn. But even then, Spawn is not a Marvel character. Most kids did not grow up with Spawn because you had no opportunity to see him. Where would you have even seen him? Uh, he had a movie that was R-rated, uh, or was it R-rated? No, it was. No, yeah. okay, yeah. Um, he had an HBO show that came on at night that kids weren't awake for. Uh, R-rated. That was also R-rated. Uh, while Cable was on the X-Men television show, there were a million toys. He's in every video game. I just don't really see how you could make the argument that Cable isn't more popular than every single one of those characters. The only other character I look at on this list that I think you can even make a case for is, like, Gambit. And that's still... I would still probably say that I would give it to Cable. But I don't know. I, I feel like for our generation, Gambit was a little bit more relevant. Mm, yeah. I remember... I remember... I don't know. And maybe it was just, like, my anecdotal experience, right? But, like, I just remember Gambit being a really big character when I was a kid. And I didn't really know much about Cable until I was, like... A little older and actually reading comics like as a teenager peep i thought you were gonna say yeah i remember gambit i really wanted to be french too <laughs> yeah i guess you could say gambit he he debuted like in 1990 so he, he definitely right. makes the cut i was i was a little unsure about when he actually debuted but yeah all right maybe gambit Again, maybe. Like, I'm not sitting here like, oh, definitely. But, like, otherwise, I'm totally with you. I don't think any of these characters are on that level. And the ones who are got that notoriety, like, later. Like, yeah, you could say, like, Harley Quinn is more popular than either of those characters now. But she wasn't that relevant until recently. She didn't even debut in the comics. Right. Yeah. And, like, obviously she was a big deal in that cartoon, which was hugely popular. But, like, I don't know. Like, if you're talking about comics characters, I just don't know that that... I don't know that that holds water. She didn't even count because she didn't debut in the comics. Like, in my in my mind. Um, All right. But, yeah, carry on. Um, okay. So then he also wrote, uh, I cannot see any of the Marvel Netflix shows moving because of the massive audience which website draws in. I do believe the Disney streaming service is going to focus on a certain younger audience and possibly just steer their movies exclusively on the site. I think that's probably true. Um, I, I think it would be, I would be surprised if the Netflix stuff moved or like just stopped, you know, I feel like those deals are already made and they're probably just going to honor those, um, and, you know, try to leverage their back catalog of content for their streaming service. Right. Yeah. The only thing I would say is that they're definitely not, they're definitely not seeking a kid's audience because they're putting all of their upcoming films on this streaming program. Like, they're, they've already talked about the next Star Wars movie. They've talked about the live action Lion King, um, the next, uh, Toy Story. All that stuff's gonna be 
exclusive to that new platform. So they're, they're shooting for every audience. But I think when it comes to the Netflix Marvel shows, those are probably going to stay where they are. I would think so. It, it'd be too messy to move them. So Right, right. And I, again, I'm pretty sure Netflix had a hand in like the development of them monetarily. You know, so like I'm sure that Netflix has a stake in those shows and they're not going to just... You know that I don't. I don't think it would play out that way. Um, right, and then he says, as a DC fan, Justice League flick is a huge face palm. I have zero faith in it, but we'll watch the train wreck on the screen. Even with Joss taking the helm, doesn't inspire confidence. Amen. I can't blame you for feeling that way. <laughs> uh, and then he says, good point. In stating shows, movies do not improve sales or interest in picking up a comic book. My argument is oversaturation of shows and movies negatively impact sales. Many casuals can think, quote, why do I think I need to read this when I can just uh, see everything on the screen? Um, um, yeah, what do you guys think about that? Well, uh, I'll just say from, like, uh, on the side, I think I brought it up in the past, like, I, I collect data and just, like, based off of um, sales and stuff like that. So I, I can tell you that when a movie comes out, it boosts sales. It definitely does, only in the short term, though. Not There's no long tail there. So um, uh, I, I definitely say that they impact it. But again, it's not to keep readers. It's just to uh, sort of broadly push whatever book that they have. And then like after that, it's just a sharp decline. Right. Yeah, it's, it's great for spikes yeah. in readership. Yeah. But not... Um, not necessarily something that's like that has any longevity. Um, all right. So then he has a question here that I feel like we could turn into the random question of the week. It's definitely not the kind of thing that Sean likes to do. But um, what do you guys think? He he asks. Oh, casting. How would you guys cast an invincible movie slash series? I think we've talked about that. Yeah, we've done this already. Did we? We did an episode where, or it was a random question where we were each picking a, a movie or a character property and then a movie or a show and then the cast. And okay. you chose Invincible and you chose whoever you chose. But you can answer I remember, it again. I don't remember who I said that I would want to, to play Mark. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really the only one who has like a dog in this race. So let's not make it a random question. I'll just answer it quickly. Um, I would prefer it to be a series. I, I've said that in the past. Uh, I, I think Invincible as a movie is like, it's hard to see how they would fit like the arcs into just films, you know, cause they're usually pretty long. Um, but in terms of like the cast, really the big problem for me is like, who would play Mark? Like, that's like really, that's like a tough question. You know, it's like, who's your leading man. And like, I feel like I would honestly probably want it to be like a nobody, you know, like somebody like Charlie Cox or daredevil, where it's like, I don't know who this guy is. And now he's just daredevil. You know, I don't know if there's necessarily like, a name that I can think of where I'm like, oh, this is the guy, you know? Um, but I do have a thought for Adam Eve. I think um, we we threw her name around a lot when... Um, oh, crap. I can't think of her name. Can one of you guys look it up for me? The the woman who played um, uh, 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 in Stranger Things, the girl who dies that everybody loves. Barb. Barb. Shannon Purser. Thank you. Shannon Purser. I think, um, I think she could be a good Adam Eve. And, uh, in terms of like the adult cast, I'm going to say Tom Selleck as Mark's dad, Omni-Man, because he's got a wicked mustache. I mean, like he would, I don't know if like, he's probably too old to like bulk up and like do that now, but like in his prime, he would be perfect for Omni-Man. And then, um, 
I'll just say for like Mark's mom, that'll be my last one. Uh, I'd give it to fuck it, Marissa Tomei. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she there played hot go. Aunt May. She can play hot Mark's mom. I like it. All right, and then one final note: Sean is a scroll. Doubt everything he says to the contrary of not being one. Um, all right, and then just to uh, wrap it up, we did have a couple comments on uh, our History of the Defenders video that I wanted to just call out. Harris wrote in and said, if this is going to be a new series, I dig it. And James McMahon, or McMahon, I guess, uh, also wrote in, please, please, please do this sort of video as a series. This is great. So thank you guys so much. We really appreciate the support. Um, and again, if you haven't checked out that video, please go watch it. Awesome. So that does it. That wraps it up for the uh, reader mail for the week uh and again you can leave comments on all platforms uh the one we most likely to get back to quickest is uh if you write into us at the comics pals at gmail.com definitely 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 let us know what you think about this history of the defenders um video that we put together so in light of the defenders launching this week i thought we would do a very brisk and easy question oh does that mean it's time for the random question of the week? That was weak. Um, <laughs> very, very easy one. Uh, who is your favorite defender of the Netflix four? Daredevil. Daredevil. Uh, I stole that. Sorry, you can't use it. <laughs> I have to pick someone else? It's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, why, Marco? Why is Daredevil your favorite? Because he's the only one I know. So, there you go. There you go. Fucking casual. <laughs> so, normally I would say Daredevil, but when I was watching Defenders last night, um, I was most in- intrigued by Jessica Jones and where she was and uh, her arc. Um, so... I, I think I want to, I mean, in general, right, Daredevil, without question. But if I just pivot my own question a little bit uh, and just talk about right now, the now, and for this show, uh, it's, it's, it's Jessica Jones. I think she's coming in at the most interesting place, given what she just went through emotionally dealing with Purple Man. Um, and obviously, she's not over it. Obviously, she's still living in hell. And that's fun. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's fun. That's good. So I'm interested in seeing how she develops and where she ends up, uh, at the end of this series. And also, by the way, I think she's the most interesting monkey wrench in terms of this, this group. I could see the rest of them sort of vibing and saying, okay, there's something bigger than us that's happening. I could easily see Jessica kind of saying, you know what? I really don't care about this. And uh, you guys do your thing and I'm going to drink. Yeah. And so how she ends up becoming one of them is going to be really interesting. And I think there's also probably going to be some tension there with Luke. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Remains to be seen, but that should be interesting. Um, Yeah. For me, it's Daredevil. Uh, If you're talking about the comics, like Daredevil is just definitely the character that I have, you know, like the most affection for out of the four of these. And in terms of his Netflix series, I think um, that's also just my favorite of the batch. You know, Daredevil season one, I think, is easily the strongest of the Netflix offerings. And then I think season two, um, 
I've made like the weird case that I think it's the best comic book adaption in terms of just like feeling like a comic, just the way that it tells a story because it's so like confident that you know what's going on that it's like it doesn't have a problem with just introducing shit in a weird way and and then drip feeding it to you later, which is like a very comic book way to like introduce things and tell a story. And it just, I don't know, I feel like both of those seasons succeed so highly. Um, and I just like, I like Charlie Cox's as Matt, and uh, it's been um, really fun to to watch that ride. And I think it's going to be really cool to see him have characters to play off of, you know, because like, they make a really big point across the two seasons that Matt like really needs people, you know? And like to be able to have people that won't be pushed away by what he does because they're doing it too is going to be... I think uh, a really fun dynamic to see play out for him. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and again, I think they're all, they're all coming at this from very interesting angles. I, I love all four of these characters, you know, like I feel like these characters are such a good pick. That's why we made this fucking video, right? Is like, we love like I, These are such a perfect group to be the defenders. And like these four characters have had relationships for so long that like, it's going to be so fun to see that start, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think if if Kale and Phil were here, Phil would say Daredevil, and he would basically say what you just said, except yep. he would be way more wordy. Uh, and then Kale, <laughs> talk about Catholic guilt, right. and <laughs> and then Kale would say Daredevil, and he would say because fuck it. Uh, so so yeah, there you go. Because um, the only other show he's watched is Iron Fist, and he hated it. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so let's do some pals pulls um, for this week. Uh, it's only Marco and I. The rest of you guys, the rest of the guys, uh, weren't that enthralled by what's going on this week. Yeah, um, nothing jumping out to me. So for Marco, we have Postal number twenty-two. Yeah, um, Postal just been a solid, solid series, and uh, I usually pick it up in trades, but. I just wanted to shout it out because it's, you know, it's coming out. So, that's about it. Yeah, big fan of that. Uh, and then for me, Secret Empire number nine. What a surprise. Uh, if Secret Empire came out every week, which it feels like it does, it would be on my list every week. It's phenomenal. Read it. If you're not, I don't know why. Forget about all the Nazi crap. Stop focusing on that. Enjoy stories because stories matter. And uh, just allow yourself to go along with the ride. You know, I mean, I'm not selling anyone at this point. If you haven't jumped on because you have some ideological problem with Nick Spencer or Marvel or whatever, then that's your prerogative. But I'm telling you that it's good, regardless of that crap. So there you go. Um, those are our palace pulls for the week. Uh, if you want to send yours to us and let us know what you're reading, uh, you can... Reach out to us in all the ways that we mentioned earlier, and we'll share them on the air if we feel like it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, we're going to jump into the news here, and we've got a pretty big news week that's starting where a lot of our news segments start, because we're talking about Justice League. Yeah. Oh boy. Batfleck yes. watch? No. Bat watch. Oh wait, never that, mind. That's coming a little later. That's a little Whoa. later. Uh, because for now, we're talking about how Joss Whedon may have completely scrapped the original ending to Justice League. 
the rumor has it, and this is coming from Slash Film, they're reporting that Joss Whedon scrapped Scott Snyder, or Zack Snyder, uh, Zack Snyder's original ending for the movie, which was supposed to end with Darkseid arriving on Earth. Oh, damn. Yeah. That's uh, cool. So, according to Slash Film, uh, Snyder's vision was that Darkseid would arrive and that would set up the sequel. Um, so, the, the following is the quote. Steppenwolf is trying to get the mother boxes and he's trying to get the Earth ready for the coming of Darkseid. And the original ending of the film, from what I understand, was he was kind of playing a Silver Surfer role with Darkseid playing the Galactus role. And the ending of the movie was a cliffhanger and Justice League 2 was going to be Justice League versus Darkseid. Darkseid arrives at Earth. So, uh, many moons ago, Justice League was two parts. And if this is correct, that makes total sense. Because... Part two, naturally flowing from part one, would be, okay, we're going against Darkseid now. That makes total sense to me. Um, but I don't see a world where Darks, where Justice League 2 isn't that, regardless of Joss Whedon changing the ending. So what do you guys think about this? Do you think that this, do you think that this is, do you think this makes sense? Do you think that, that, that that's something um, WB would have signed off on to begin with? And do you think that that's something that Joss would have changed if it really were the way that the movie ended? It's a lot of hypotheticals. But, ye- okay. Yes, I do think WB would sign off on that being okay. Because they were fine with throwing away Doomsday as the, the last 10-minute bit of, a, of Batman v Superman. So, like, why wouldn't they do that? Um, they don't really seem to... I don't know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna slingshot for no reason. I I think they would do that. And do I think that Joss Whedon would change that if he could? Yes, because I think that's a ridiculous. Like that's that does make sense if the Justice League movie was coming in a place that made sense, right? Like if we had had all the solo movies leading up to a Justice League movie, and then that ends with you know the team and Darkseid and da 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 da. Fine, but the fact that we have two more solo movies or three more solo movies in between this sequel that we don't even know is confirmed and everything like i yeah i, I definitely feel like he would want to have a more definitive ending that doesn't set up dark side is on earth here's seven more movies where that's not happening you know that just like doesn't make sense for the trajectory of their their film universe which seems to have changed a little bit um at least since this movie was planned and then what was the last question? Do I think that there's any way that Justice League 2 wouldn't deal with Darkseid? No. That's that's where you got to go. You you added that one. But, but oh, yes. okay. But, yes. <laughs> but still, though. Um, and Marco? Yeah, I agree with that. I think that would they allow it to be changed? Yeah. Would he change it? Yeah. Um, I mean... We don't know how extensive any like of the the reshoots were. We don't know to what effect like parts were taken out of the movie. To um, like was he? There's there's a lot of unknowns there, but do I think that they would allow it and he would have the capability? Yeah. Okay. Uh. So for me, I think knowing Joss Whedon, he absolutely would change this. Joss is not a fan of open-ended at all. Uh, if you look at Avengers 1 and Avengers 2, 
Uh, Avengers One is not a it's it's a culmination, but in many ways it's a first. So if you've watched all the movies prior to Avengers One, great. If you haven't, it doesn't matter. You'll be fine. You can go into that movie, watch it with no context, enjoy it for what it is, and you'll understand who all these characters are by the end of it with no prior knowledge at all. That's what he likes to do. And Avengers 1 ends very clean. You know, It doesn't end with, hey, there's this threat that's coming later. I mean, you know, after the credits being what that has to be. Um, but but the, the what's in what's in the movie itself it ends straight. Um, that's his deal. Avengers two is a sequel to Avengers one only. It's not a sequel to what came before. Uh, and yeah, there are some things in there that that bothered some people uh, regarding like the the Thor flashback or flash forward or whatever the hell that was and all that different stuff. But. Those were things that he was forced to put in. The stuff that was under his control, um, that was all very sort of self-contained. So Joss Whedon definitely wouldn't want a dark side comes in at the end, tease into Justice League 2. Not at all. And then especially when you consider what Pete brought up, which is the fact that there are these movies that are coming out in between Justice League 1 and 2. Uh, Aquaman, for example, takes place after Justice League. So how does that work? Right, um, it, it just it just mechanically wouldn't work. I don't. Especially think. if they're trying to do a flashpoint film and stuff, like just you can't have Darkseid just like looming over all these movies. You know, of us just being like, well, where the fuck is Darkseid? You know. Well, I think I think that's gonna happen no matter what, right? But I don't think it's gonna happen in the sense of they're staring Darkseid in the face and then cut to black, right? I think Darkseid yeah. will be... He'll play the Thanos role, except that he'll appear in Justice League 2 as the villain, I think. But yeah. he'll come yeah. to Earth in that movie, you know? Yes. So they're not thinking about him in between, I guess, yeah. is my point. I think, I think that makes sense. Uh, and do I think WB would sign off on something like this? Hell yeah, because I don't think... I don't think that... I think it could work easily, and I think it could be very good. Uh, him doing doing that kind of um, cliffhanger, but I don't think it's right for them right now. So we mentioned Batfleck, and we do have a little bit of Batfleck watch here uh, because according to Batman or Batfleck's brother, uh, Ben Affleck is done as Batman. Wait, wait, what's his what's his brother's name again? Casey Affleck. So so Case Fleck. <laughs> uh yeah so basically casey affleck was doing um a radio show and uh he kind of said that he was doing the the dale and holly with keith radio show i'm always fascinated by the names of these radio shows uh but at any rate he was doing that show and uh he he jokingly said that he didn't think that Ben did such a great job as <laughs> Alex, as Bruce Wayne, <laughs> and uh, that he didn't that that Ben was done playing the character. Uh, so so he said these things, but the context is missing when you read anything about it. He was joking; it was completely said in jest, and um, he's you know Ben is doing the movie. He's 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 gonna he's gonna play Bruce. We know he's gonna do it. Um, there's no doubt. But everyone was in 
an uproar about this because, of course, we're coming off of San Diego Comic-Con where Ben Affleck just made a huge stink about how cool it is to play Batman. So the idea that his brother's saying, oh, well, he's done, really threw people for a loop. Uh, I guess there's not much of a story there other than, you know, people overreacting. Now on to something hopefully more tangible. Uh, congrats may be in order to Patty Jenkins, the director of Wonder Woman, because she is on track to sign a deal uh, that would make her the highest paid female director ever in Hollywood. Congratulations, uh, Patty. Yeah. yeah. That's so, awesome. Obviously, Wonder Woman has been a massive success. Uh, $402 million and counting. Uh, and I believe that's that's just domestically. Uh, so it's doing phenomenally. It, it Wait, beat, really? That's just domestic? I'm fairly sure. Because uh, it beat out Guardians 2 and Spider-Man Homecoming. But worldwide, Spider-Man Homecoming is in the... I believe it's like $700 million. Uh, so, but here in the States, slightly under that. So, um, yeah, Wonder Woman doing really well and continuing to make money, which is great. Um, but so while we don't have actual figures for what Patty Jenkins could make for a sequel, uh, Deadline is reporting that she's very close to signing on to direct Wonder Woman 2, uh, and that she would be making whatever is... Whatever is the sort of standard for what DC is paying their people right now to direct these movies, Zack Snyder earned ten million, so it's safe to assume she's going to get something around those lines, along those lines. Good. Yeah. She fucking should. She's the only one who's made a good movie. The hell that Zack Snyder deserves to make that much for. <laughs> hey man, I'm just saying it's bullshit. Like. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> She, I'm just saying, right? Like, if you put those two in a paper bag and say, direct your way out, she's the only one who's making it out of that fucking paper bag, man. I mean, Zach will make it out. It's just going to be in slow motion. <laughs> ah, nice. <laughs> so take a Yeah, while. you're right. Patty Jenkins will just make it out. And on the way out, I'll feel inspired and uplifted. She'll do it gracefully. And it'll be inspiring. <laughs> yes. Um... Yeah, so congrats to her. I hope that that does work out. Uh, I don't imagine a world in which she's not directing Wonder Woman 2, though. I mean, like, me neither, right? Like, they had so much success, they should want to get her back. They also have a chance, or a chance, rather, to be, like, the first studio to actually pay a female director fairly, you know? So it's like, they could also, like, make history here in doing this, so it's like... I feel like it's going to come together and like, why wouldn't she want to come back for a sequel? You know, Wonder Woman was the first like actual movie she got to direct. And if she can get a follow up where she'll make a lot more money and have a better budget. She has yeah. directed a movie before. She, 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 I thought, I thought that this was, Oh no. Yeah. It was like a long time ago though. Right. Yeah. And in, in, uh, I think it was like 2004. She directed monster, which Charlize Theron. Okay. Cause I, I just remember we were talking about that in the Wonder Woman episode and how she had not gotten, like, this was really hard for her to, like, get this far. This was her first... Monster was a low-budget film. This was her first, like, bot, like studio blockbuster, thing, right? blockbuster, you know, big movie, yeah. Studio right, right. movie like that. So, um, I mean, she hit it out of the park, right? With her first, like, superhero Obviously. blockbuster offering. Uh, and regarding the pay element, I think... I, I think if, you, if you're not going to pay... They'd look really bad if she didn't get paid 
what Snyder got paid because she made a movie that has been more successful than those movies. So yeah, like she's the only one who's made a successful movie, like a truly successful. Cause like, I know all of them have ended up being financial successes, but none of them have been like a hit. And like this was, so it's like the, the, the only, only reason that they wouldn't pay her that much would be sexism, you know? So it's like, good. Like, let's fucking see it. She obviously deserves the money. Yeah. I look forward to uh, what she does with the sequel. So, uh, some comic book news an exciting potential collaboration uh, because Jonathan Hickman and Jim Lee had lunch. Dude, this is so fucking like, this is scary. Not at a diner. Uh, they had, they had lunch on the Warner Brothers, at the Warner Brothers commissary. Near oh DC Entertainment's offices in Burbank, California. So you oh, got to Marvel. imagine, right? Oh, Marvel! <laughs> and now I'm not a I'm not a foodie like that. I like to eat American food, Spanish <laughs> food, and that's kind of where I stop. But uh, Jim Lee did tweet a picture of the meal that he had with Jonathan Hickman, and it's something called avocado toast. Oh my God! Stop! <laughs> what are they, millennials? God. Uh, so I don't know. I guess that's good. Marco's reacting as if it's good. Um, I'm reacting as as like, I like really. That's the most like stereotypical rich white person thing you could eat right now. Yeah, that's just so funny. That's like, <laughs> oh, you're privileged. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so way back in 2016, that old year, uh, Jonathan Hickman sent out, sent out a tweet that said simply this DC editors, you can stop emailing me. The answer is yes. I've destroyed one superhero universe. Don't think I wouldn't love to do another. So that of course is telling me that ever since Jonathan Hickman stopped writing at Marvel, DC started hitting him up. And eventually they wore him down to the point where he agreed to meet with them and he got a great meal out of it. Um, so if this is, if this is a relationship that's going to be real, um, Justice League doesn't have a writer come this fall when Brian Hitch leaves the book and Rebirth could really use a superstar writer. Like they don't have one really. Jeff Johns doesn't write monthly books. Um, they've got Scott Snyder, but that's kind of, a, you know, that's about it. And, and obviously they're doing great, but you add Jonathan Hickman to the mix, give him Justice League and let him run wild. That's, that's incredible. I mean, this is just one of those things where like, we've been talking about it, like since we've been doing this show, right? That like, we've just been seeing DC make increasingly smart decisions, pulling away key talent from Marvel, like giving people the opportunity to do something that's new or unique. Like, if they can get, like, another big, like, again, right? Like, when Hickman left Marvel, we were just kind of like, ooh, like, he he was one of the, like, key pieces of talent they had left. And for DC to get him now is just, like, like, while Marvel's already down, it's like, Jesus Christ, you know? Like, DC is just, like, eating their fucking lunch, and it's only gonna, it looks like it's only gonna get worse, you know? Or at least it's gonna get a lot worse before it gets better. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Hickman at DC doesn't surprise me only because yeah. 
the synergy is there. Uh, Jonathan Hickman loves to play with elaborate set pieces. He loves to tell stories that are very like wheel within wheel esque, like very embedded. Uh, that's his that's his wheelhouse, and DC affords you the opportunity to do that better than Marvel does, uh, simply because of the way that their universe works. And so him there is a no-brainer to me. He has said in the past that he fully intends to go back to Marvel at some point. He just needed a break after working within the machine. I mean, Jonathan Aikman was there for a long time. So I I see a scenario where he signs a two-year deal and then leaves, goes back to do his image stuff, uh, and then and then returns to Marvel at some point in the future. But for now, I'm excited to see what he can do at um, at DC. It's certainly going to be interesting to see what comes of it, you know? Because, like, it seems like a no-brainer that he's going to end up there at this point. If he publicly said that he wants to write for DC and then he was meeting with them, I mean, I feel like it's only a matter of time before we get the announcement of whatever it is, whether it's Justice yeah. League or not. So, uh, moving over to Marvel... Uh, we've got a couple trailers that were released, uh, over the, over the week. One is coming from, it's, it's actually the Japanese trailer for Thor, Thor Ragnarok. And it reveals something that a lot of people haven't been too clear on that now we know for sure. Uh, Doctor Strange is in this trailer. So that's confirmation that he's in Thor 3. Huge news. Yeah. It, yeah, and it's weird that it is huge news because I remember seeing that post credit scene. It's like, okay, clearly he's in this movie. But then we've seen all this promotional material, two trailers already, and no no sight of him. Yeah, uh, they, they've done a good job sort of not highlighting this too much. They've put the focus on Thor and Hulk, which I thought was appropriate. And then now that we're like, what, a couple, uh, few months, like three months away from the film... Now we're seeing Doctor Strange a little bit. We don't know how big his role is going to be, but we know he's there, and I think that's cool. Yeah, it's just it's interesting because the scene we saw with him is them in the Sanctum, right? Uh, in the trailer, yeah, yeah. So or I mean, it looks like it. That's what I, that's what I thought, and that's where we see them meeting in the uh, you know post credits teaser as well. So I'm wondering. If that's like the conclusion of their, because co- like again, Doctor Strange made it seem as though he was going to go and help him. So why haven't we seen him in any of these trailers? Though is my question. So I, remains to be seen, but I, it's definitely again, exciting. I d- I do think that they've been trying deliberately to keep him under wraps. Um, and if that's the case, then great. But you're right, because what appears to be the final battle where Thor and Loki and Hulk and Valkyrie all confront uh, Hela, he's not there. Yeah. So I don't think he really is too big a part of this journey. Yeah, it's like maybe he's like more of a support character, you know, like maybe he is kind of like helping them from behind the scenes and talking to them through some Doctor Strange magic portal or whatever. Like that's that's a totally Doctor Strange thing to do. Sure, sure. So like, why not? Right? Like, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, other than that, I didn't really have a ton of impressions about the trailer. It was more it, of the same. Yeah, it was all stuff that we saw in the previous trailer for the most part. 
Like, it was a lot of the same shots as the last American trailer. Yeah, there were some uh, unique shots. We get a better sense here of how things are going to work out with the Hulk, I think. And uh, maybe this was just me not paying attention before, but it seems like the stuff with the Hulk and Thor on, uh, I guess, it, it, you know, uh, when they're when they're taken by the Grandmaster and that whole deal and them fighting in the Coliseum, it seems like that's going to be pretty early on based on this trailer. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And uh, I, we got like a little bit more of his conversation with Bruce. We got a little bit more of his conversation with the Hulk. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, if, if you're interested in getting, like, seconds more of those scenes, you know, go check it out. But otherwise, Doctor Strange being in it is kind of the, the headline, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, in addition to that, we got a trailer for The Punisher, the, the Punisher television series, which, again, is a show that a lot of people have asked me is there are we getting a punisher show when are we going to see the punisher again a lot of people haven't been clear on the fact that there is going to be a punisher show uh and now i mean we got confirmation we had confirmation for a long time but we got the little snippet at san diego now we've got this trailer what you guys think of the trailer it was cool it was um i mean <laughs> Pete called it out. It was just a uh, just a bunch of uh, John Bernthal grunts. Yeah, there's like so much B-roll from just being like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just I was making the joke where I was like, I know his grunts so well now. Between like the two seasons he was on Walking Dead, and then like a season of Daredevil is just like I feel like I could tell I could pick his grunt out of a lineup, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, you know, it's a good trailer. It's, it's very Punisher, you know, my family, I got demons. I got to shoot people. I'm the Punisher, a skull. It's like, all right, cool. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, I mean, it was more of a teaser than a trailer. Really? Uh, I liked what, what I saw. I, I mean, look, John Bernthal's Punisher. It feels like a match made in heaven for me. Um, and so I'm excited to see what they do with his solo series. I think this has huge potential. Yeah, I, I really agree. Uh, I'm I'm not a big fan of the Punisher as a character. Like there are definitely a lot of great Punisher stories, and he's been used well. But I, for whatever reason, he just doesn't really appeal to me, you know. And I I really do feel like John Bernthal's portrayal of him and how he was handled in Daredevil Two, um, like made me interested in watching a series about him. So that's that's definitely a success in my mind. Yeah. Um, so, in addition, uh, we got some news about Jessica Jones, season two. So, remember Kilgrave, Purple Man? You know, the guy who got his neck snapped, apparently, at the end of the season? Yeah, I recall. Yep. Well, uh, he's on set for season two. Uh, Entertainment Weekly released some uh, set photos, and he's there, alive and in living color. So... The question that I have for you guys is a simple one. Uh, is he back from the dead? Did he not die? Um, is this just a flashback or some kind of mental after image effect that he's having on her that's lingering because of his mind control? I think it's either the first or the last option that you presented. I think it's either we're going to see finally um, one of the last great comic book tropes that these films really haven't addressed, which is people coming back from the dead. Um, 
or that Jessica is going to be haunted by his ghost or he can somehow use his powers to have kept his soul alive and he's using that to like haunt Jessica or something like those are all super comic booky explanations but we're far enough down that rabbit hole you know where I think stuff like that is possible um but the easiest explanation is it's a flashback right like maybe we'll finally see her as Jewel I don't think that that's I don't think that that's ever something that she did in her history on the show I'm not sure because, like, they talked about how she did used to be a superhero because um, – what's her name? What's her blonde friend's name? Um, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, Patsy Walker. Patsy. Thank you. Jesus. I was like, what the fuck? Joyzen. That's Iron Fist. Um, <laughs> uh, Patsy Walker. Yeah. Like, had encouraged her to be a superhero and she was one and then the Purple Man stuff happened and that's how she became, you know, where she is. Oh, gosh. So, like – they do talk about that. They're never like jewel. They never like show us anything, but I could see that being the case of a flashback to like why she's so haunted by this. What were the things she did? I, I don't know. It's possible. Yeah. I forgot about that. Um, they do show the one flashback where she kills Luke Cage's wife though. And she doesn't have like the hair or anything. So I don't know. I'm just covering our bases here. <laughs> yeah. I'm inclined to think that, it's that he's sort of in her head, you know, that somehow his like last, his dying breath, he put, he inserted himself into her mind. Like he's occupying mind space now and she's seeing him everywhere. Reminds me actually of uh, Christopher Sabella's heartthrob, uh, which is kind of a, a sort of similar ish thing. Um, I could see that being uh, a scenario here. I don't think that they're going to resurrect him or do anything like that. Just given because the Netflix shows tend towards like super realism. So I, I don't know that. I, I don't think it'd be bad. I just don't think they would do it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just laughing at because like you're not wrong. But like saying that they're like they focus on super realism, you know, like all those ninjas that there are in New York City. <laughs> hey, man, ninjas are real. You don't want to walk through the wrong neighborhood in New York City at night. You might get attacked by a gang of ninjas. I've seen it. <laughs> if I've learned anything from the Defenders and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, is that New York City after dark is a breeding yeah. ground for ninjas. Well, yeah, I, I guess I guess there's room for um, argument there because they do have the hand, which does resurrect people. They could easily yeah. have resurrected. Him. Oh fuck yeah! Like um, Electra died, right? And yeah, we saw so her resurrected. So. There you go. Why not? Why not, Purple Man? What do you think, Marco? Um, yeah, I think that I was thinking it's probably like a flashback thing or something where he never really died because he maybe just projected that he, it looked like he died or something. Like, so I don't know. <laughs> Life model decoy. Yeah, I, I don't know. So, um, <laughs> whichever way they come with it, I think that it'll be okay. It won't be anything too out of the like anything too out there. Something that audiences would react negatively to. You know, we've seen people come back. So if he does and it's explained in a way that that's familiar that we've seen, I don't think it's going to be an issue. Um, but if it's just flashbacks, like that works too. Yeah. Uh, w- really quick, how how excited are you guys for a season two of Jessica Jones? Ten out of ten. 
Like, I love all of these shows. Um, I mean, love's a strong word. I didn't love Iron Fist. I really liked Iron Fist. Um, but I really loved Jessica Jones, and I love her as a character. I think um, I think her name's Kristen Ritter, right, is the actress? I think she's does a great job as Jessica. And um, I've never been, like, a huge fan of hers. Like, I think she's a, a fine actress. Um, but this role, for whatever reason, I feel like she just nails it. And um, I'm so down to see her do more stuff, you know? And like you said, I think even at the end of Defenders, like, she's still got some demons to face, you know, from from season one. So there's definitely story to be told there. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm excited. And um, it was one of the first ones that I saw after Daredevil, like, and, and it was more recent. Um, and I, I liked that it was it was definitely a different take. It was more like I, I like the way it was presented, the the show versus like some of the other ones. It was a little bit less superhero-y and like some horror-y stuff, some like psychological things, and so it, it was it was interesting in that regard. So to see them build upon that, um, I'm looking forward to that. Marco likes PIs. Yeah, <laughs> PIs are cool, man. Yeah, I I echo your sentiments. I'm a ten out of ten on my excitement for that show bring it on yeah uh so we've talked about the fantastic four quite a bit of late and uh so i thought it'd be interesting to report this uh coming from jamie bell he's the actor who played the thing in the most recent fantastic four movie poor guy yeah and uh he said that he he said that they were they, the actors, were bitterly disappointed with how the film turned out, and uh, I mean he was pretty candid. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read some quotes from him, and you guys can react to that. Um, there were there were several things on that movie I was clearly not privy to because I'm just an actor and I just do my stuff on set. But with something like that, everything starts with the best of intentions. A production begins with the idea to make something that's unique and original and with integrity. I think the film really strived towards those goals. I don't know what happened between the launch of the voyage and the arrival. I think we were all bitterly disappointed with that film. But that's just the way it goes sometimes. You guys have any reactions to that? I just feel bad for everyone involved in this movie, you know, because like I really do get the sense that the people involved wanted to make something good and they just they were on such a crunch like the movie was only being made to retain rights and basically flip the bird to Marvel. And it's like that's apparent like it's apparent that that's what it was. But I don't know that I I get the sense that the people that signed on to do it really did want to do something good. And there was just that that was never Fox's intention. You know, they never, ever cared about making something that was good or unique or whatever. They just cared about keeping the rights. And like if they I don't know, that's just the truth. That's not me being cynical. Right. Like they they were losing the rights to that movie if they didn't get a movie out, the rights to the films, uh, if they didn't get a movie out in like a year. And, like you can't make a good movie in a year, like at least not a fucking million multi-million dollar blockbuster. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's just not how it works. Yeah. Uh yeah, I I don't I don't agree with that. I I think that Fox probably did want to make a good Fantastic Four movie. And I definitely think that they wanted to make something unique. Because if they didn't want to make something unique, then they wouldn't have gotten Josh Trank. 
they would have gotten someone who would have played it safe and would have made a Fantastic Four movie that treaded closer to the comics uh, and wasn't so off the beaten path. Now, I do want to, sh- before we continue the conversation, I do want to share what Jeremy Slater had to say on the same subject. Uh, he s- spoke to Screen Crush and he talked a lot about what the movie was supposed to be originally. In addition to Annihilus and the Negative Zone, we had Doctor Doom declaring war against the civilized world, the Mole Man unleashing a 60-foot genetically engineered monster in downtown Manhattan, a commando raid on the Baxter Building, a Saving Private Ryan-style finale pitting our heroes against an army of Doombots in a war-torn Latveria, and a post-credit teaser featuring Galactus and the Silver Surfer destroying an entire planet. We had monsters and aliens and fantastic cars and a cute spherical Herbie robot that was basically BB-8 two years before BB-8 ever existed. And if you think all of that sounds great, well, yeah, we did too. The problem was it would have been massively, massively expensive. So that's that's really interesting because it sounds like it sounds like they wanted to make uh, something that was going to be huge, but Fox couldn't spe- couldn't justify spending the money on that and so they pivoted and made something that was smaller but more unique than uh what we had seen before with the fantastic four yeah but again I, to me like it, it just smells like it was motivated by profit right like and not like in a obviously every movie is made to make money but i mean like we need to hold on to these rights we don't have the time to make this big, good Fantastic Four movie. So let's go with something that's smaller and more experimental, and we don't care if it's good or bad, because what we're doing is putting the movie out to keep the rights. That's that's my interpretation of it. Anyway. But again, if that were the case, they wouldn't have gone through all the headache of the reshoots and dealing with Josh Trank's crazy actions and trying to salvage that movie, because they, they had a movie. It was just awful. So they put a super team together. It's true. They, they, they put a super team together to try and save it. And the result is what we got. And most people don't like that movie. Um, but that movie was, was salvaged by Fox, who could have, if they didn't care, they could have just released what, what Josh had, had shot and said, Hey, here's the movie. That's probably what they should have done. I don't know, man. I, um, at any rate, Fantastic Four, uh, is a horror story of, <laughs> of, um, what can happen when you have a director who's just in over his head and a studio that doesn't get the characters. And it's just, it's really unfortunate. Uh, so. Let's talk a little bit about comics from Marvel because we do talk comics from time to time. Uh, this is the second time this episode. We're in good yeah, shape. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> um, so Marvel's bringing back the master of Kung Fu, Shang-Chi. Uh, Shang-Chi is getting a, a new um, comic. It's a one-shot, but nonetheless, it's being written by UFC and WWE superstar CM Punk. Yeah, uh, so CM Punk obviously has written uh, some stuff in the past for Marvel. He did the Drax 12-issue series, and then he also had the um, short story in the Thor comic book. 
Uh, and so now they're giving him another opportunity to to write for them. And he's going to be writing this Shang-Chi story. Um, and then the artist on the book is also a martial artist. This is a name that I am bound to screw up. Welcome uh, to the part of the show where Sean messes up someone's name. Inevitably. Dalibor Talajik. Actually, I think I got it. No, I think you did. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Um, so Talajik had this to say. I grew up on Shang-Chi. I'm a huge fan of Bruce Lee, so naturally I adore Shang-Chi as well. I love both Paul Galusi and Mike Zek stuff. Galusi treated Shang-Chi like a noir book, while Zek made it very impressive in fight scenes. I had my dream come true some two years ago when I did the Master of Kung Fu mini with Hayden Blackman. The editor on this project, Kathleen Wisniewski, who I actually know, uh, that's not in the quote, uh, knows me from that time, so I hope she was pleased with what we did back then, and she called me back. That's really funny. Yeah, yeah, we all know her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Hi, cat. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's fucking really cool. Uh, it's funny, dude. This is like this is such an anecdotal thing. I have like a weird thing where I kind of don't like CM Punk, and it's really for a super anecdotal thing. He yelled at the guy who's the host of my favorite podcast once where he just was like oh hey like you're CM Punk and he just screamed out of it like screamed in his face and was just like get the fuck away from me basically and he was just like shit alright fine like so I don't know he's probably just having a bad day uh, I mean I, I've had a really good interaction with CM Punk actually he was really cool with me uh, I met him at Comic Con one year and I happened to be wearing a shirt of his I don't even know if he noticed, but I came up to him as he was exiting the bathroom and uh, we chatted and he was nice enough to take a picture with me. So uh, he's that's cool. A-OK in my book. Plus, I'm a huge wrestling fan and he's the man. So now I want to talk about the Inhumans and we're going to have a lengthy conversation about the Inhumans because there's something really strange going on with the way that the show has been produced. And we do have a new trailer, so we'll talk about that before we dive into the big conversation. Um, but first, let's get let's get some reactions to this one minute long mini trailer that we got. Any thoughts? That trailer sucks. It's really bad. Like, as someone who edits video, like it's a bad trailer. Like they literally, it's it's nothing but like name and then face, and like the face is up for like one frame and then this weird hard fade and it's just like i don't not even like getting a sense of who any of these characters are like you i don't know it was just so like let's just list all the fucking characters and then be like a monarchy divide it's like ah, d- no pass bad trailer like really bad trailer and the fact that like the footage itself doesn't look very good like ah, i don't know dude like Every, every time they put out more about the show, I get actively less excited about it. Yeah. Uh, I um, Man, I really, really want to like this. Uh, I thought Medusa looked better than she has. Her, they, they sh- yeah, they showed some of her hair being like um, active and, and living, and that was, that was all right. I still love the way Lockjaw looks. Um, Lockjaw does look really good. I'll give him that. But other than that, I, I unfortunately have to agree. There's something, there's something cheap about the way this looks. And I, I hate to say that. That sounds really bad. 
But look, the it just doesn't look right. No, something's it, off. It, it looks like, and I don't, I don't mean this to sound derogatory to cosplayers, but it looks like cosplay. You know, like they look like the characters, sure, but like it doesn't look. It just doesn't look like it fits with the rest of this stuff in the MCU. And when you say cosplay, I think about that in terms of the costumes. Like, I think it's average cosplay because there's some amazing cosplayers out there who could pull this off, right? Yeah, no question. I think it looks like average cosplay. And I think that it's like, it's like if I were to cosplay as Luke Cage, obviously I look nothing like Luke Cage. The only. Like, comparison is that we're both black. That's it. I don't look like the character. This Black Bolt doesn't look like Black Bolt. He looks like some guy cosplaying as Black Bolt. Yes. Yeah. Like, he just doesn't look right. And I feel that way about all of them. Specific Medusa, too. Yeah. I feel like very much like that, where, again, like, if I saw somebody at a Comic-Con dressed up like that, I'd be like, man, it's pretty good Medusa cosplay. Yeah. You know? But, it's yeah, solid. pretty good. Pretty good, right? Like solid, like, and um, this isn't like a dig again at cosplayers. Like, it's a thing of like these just look like very average costumes. You know, it's not like it's not one of those people where like you see them and you're just like, whoa, and everyone stops to fucking circle around them and take pictures. It's like, oh yeah, that's pretty good, and like uh, that's just like not enough, especially for like. And again, Sean, you're a big Inhumans guy. Like, I'm not. Like, I know the Inhumans well enough. I've read a few Inhuman stories. And, like, I want everything to be good. I want to like everything. But, like, looking at this, I'm not excited about it at all. You know, like, I have no intention of watching this as of right now. Like, unless it comes out and you're like, I watched it. It's really good. You got to give it a chance. Like, yeah, it looks low budget, but it's really good. Fine. Then I'd give it a shot. But as of right now, like zero intention of watching like we're not going to review it we're not going to like give it the same attention that we give other stuff in this in this sphere because it just doesn't look like it's on that level marco did you get the chance to check out this one minute little teaser thing yeah it was um to pete's point about like the the way it was like shot and at least the way it was edited it was kind of weird they yeah they do they only have like a certain like a few frames for like the names and then they black out and it's like it was it was pieced together a little odd um yeah and in regards to like the the hair and some of the the costume stuff i I don't i don't know the characters i know black bull has a mask but he doesn't in this and i i'm not familiar with medusa um, so I can't say whether or not she looks like she does in, in the comics, but in the hair, I mean, in, in the show they fix up the hair. So like, it looks a little bit more flowy than some of the other stuff that I've seen. Cause the other stuff it's, it looked clumped and like, it was, it was weird. It wasn't, um, didn't look as accurate, but at least now it, it looks a little bit better. Um, and I mean, I don't know anything about these characters, so like maybe I'll watch it. Like I, I didn't know anything about Legion, and I loved it, so I'm not gonna just put this one to the side, um, just because I don't know the the characters. Um, I'd like to explore them, so I'm overall I'm I'm kind of looking forward to it, but uh, no expectations. Now we got our impressions out of the way uh, based on this trailer. 
there's one consistent feeling that's kind of echoed amongst all the pals. And then, to be honest, the entirety of the internet, you know, all the commentators about this show have the same feeling that there's something wrong. And so my question is, will Inhumans be Marvel's first true failure? Uh, the MCU has been on a roll, and that roll has been going 10 years long and counting. And a lot of people have been wondering if they'd ever and when they would ever deliver their first failure, like their first true failure. Some people dislike certain movies in the MCU. Thor The Dark World comes to mind for a lot of people, but it's not... It's not awful. It wasn't. It wasn't a complete bomb. It did fine in, in theaters. You know, there are some redeeming qualities. Um, nothing Marvel has done so far has come close to being as bashed and mocked as Inhumans. And even though it's not out yet, uh, it seems like it's doomed to failure. Unfortunately, uh, and so the show is going to be debuting in IMAX theaters. At least the first two episodes will be uh, on September first. And so I thought we'd look at how Marvel has approached this series and trying to come to an understanding of why everything about the Inhumans seems so unlike anything Marvel has done before and not for the better. Uh, and, and a lot of this is coming from the horse's mouth, to be honest. So let's start from uh, San Diego Comic-Con. Um, actually... Not San Diego Comic Con. Sorry, uh, it was the TCA, the, te the Television Critics Association press tour. So this is a thing where these studios go and they shop around their shows and try to get some initial feedback from television critics, it's like mock reviews, right? Uh, and so Jeff Loeb uh, was on stage and was getting asked questions by people who were kind of saying, "Hey, man, why?" Like, why does this look the way it does? Why does the this look like shit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's up with the quality, right? And so Jeff had this to say. I can tell you that it was written on the material that you were given that the show that you have seen is not the finished product. Uh, if you're asking me whether or not it was done, it's not. So to be perfectly honest, I don't understand your question. Um... Okay, that's the most PR shit I've ever heard, dude, because we've seen plenty of trailers with unfinished footage, and my immediate response isn't, wow, that looks like dog shit. <laughs> well, these these people, I I believe, saw they, they saw the episode. Like a full version of it that's just not finished. Right. Right. So they were shown they were shown the episode and the question was, did it turn out the way you'd hoped? And Jeff is responding very defensively saying, yeah. hey, you guys all know that this wasn't finished. Um, and so he's in a tough position at that point, I guess. Yeah, I mean, he's got to defend the, the product, but it's like, I don't know, to try and like turn that, oh, I don't understand your question. You know it's not finished. It's like, yeah, but you're showing it to me and it looks like this. So, like, if that's my genuine reaction is what's the deal with the quality – like, that's, that's a concern. <laughs> and, like, I feel like they should be prepared for this. Because, like you said, people have been fucking throwing this on, railing this over the coals yeah. for, like, w months now. And then another reporter uh, made a statement before they even asked a question. 
uh, that the quality of the episode screened for critics was not suitable for IMAX screens. And Loeb replied by saying, I think you're making an editorial statement and I'm wondering what the question is. <sighs> that's rough. I mean, you're talking about a show that's that's going to debut on IMAX screens in a couple weeks. And its, it's flaws are going to be glaring in IMAX. You know, it's going to look even worse. Yeah. Um, and, and, and for context, so let's, let's really flesh this out. Now, Inhumans was announced as a movie, uh, a few years ago. I want to say it was announced, uh, maybe two or three years ago at this point. I think it was announced in 2014 when they did that big press thing where they showed that, like, famous image of just, like, the timeline. And Inhumans was supposed to be the last one and it was, like, 2020. Yeah. So Inhumans, Inhumans was there. It was slated to be a movie, and everyone suspected, hey, all right, this is going to be Marvel's X-Men. This is how they're going to do their version of the X-Men. Um, and then we started to get Inhumans teasers in S.H.I.E.L.D., Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Yep. and it looked like they were building towards this movie that was going to be this big event. Uh, maybe two years ago, they announced that they were changing their plans, and that instead it was going to be a television show. And that they would partner with IMAX to release the first two episodes on IMAX screens. And that they would film them with IMAX <sighs> cameras. Like, why? That still has never made sense to me. But okay. Right. <laughs> and and But that's why we're talking about this, right? Because there's a lot of weird things about this. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like- <laughs> the reason for this change has never been disclosed. I, I don't know why they've chosen to do this. Um, but there were rumors that Vin Diesel would play um, Black Bolt. He really wanted that role. Um, there were all that sorts been so cool, right? There were all sorts of casting rumors, um, but that didn't happen. And so, Inhumans would have been a big budget blockbuster film, right? Instead, we're getting a television show. So now, let's talk about the way that they've produced this show. Okay, here's an article coming from CNET.com. And the title of the article is, What Did Marvel Look For in Inhumans? Fast and Cheap. Ouch. (laughs) Oh. That's rough. So the writer, I know, the writer of the article is Richard Trenholm, and he had the opportunity to interview the director of the first two episodes of Inhumans, uh, Roel Rene. And he was, he, he talked to him about why he was chosen for the opportunity to work on Inhumans and, and kind of what led to that. Uh, <laughs> this is what he had to say. I think they liked me for the job because I was able with my action movies, uh, sidebar, he directed Death Race 2 and The Scorpion King 3. Uh, so, oh, yeah. <laughs> jumping, what a glowing resume. <laughs> jumping back into the quote. Uh, I was able with my action movies to shoot in a very short time or with very low budgets action that looked like a big budget movie. It was not a feature film. It was a TV episode, but they still wanted to have the scope. The schedule was super tight. I had a I had a TV schedule time to shoot it, but with IMAX cameras, 20 days to shoot two episodes. It's nerve wracking. But I come from a low-budget film world, so 20 days for me is luxury. Now, I want you guys to, to, to tell me what you think about the fo- about what he just said. But I want to add that in television, 
you essentially have seven days to shoot one episode. Five days to shoot one episode of a show, typically. Okay. So he had a lot of time. It not yeah, not a lot of time at all. The turnaround is very, 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 very fast. So he had twenty days to shoot two episodes um, with IMAX cameras that are known for being clunky, not easy to use, uh, difficult to position. Uh, having to learn how to shoot with them is not easy because you can't. There are certain things you can't do. So. Again, the questions: Why would Marvel make this choice? Why didn't he have more time? What do you guys think? I, dude, I don't. I don't. I sincerely don't know because we regularly praise Marvel Studios for being calculating, you know, um, and for planning things out far ahead in the future and then slowly working towards a goal. And like, yeah, sometimes the the mark moves, you know, like the Netflix shows. Jessica Jones and Luke Cage were planned as shows. They were going to be ABC shows like years before Netflix even existed as what it is. So like, yeah, sometimes that mark moves, but like to see this movie in a church or this property in trajectory of three years go from being, it's an MCU movie that's going to get the same attention as like guardians or something to being, it's going to be a low budget TV show like shield but not even with the benefit of like someone like Joss Whedon helping the first two episodes. And we're going to put it in IMAX. Why? To make it more difficult to shoot, more expensive to shoot when it already has a low budget. And to put something that's frankly going to be low quality and rushed on IMAX screens. There must have just been a partnership there for money again of just like maybe we can pay literally nothing to get this show made. And even if it sucks, it'll have cost us nothing. And then we can invest in season two. Like there's got to be some rationale here, right? But the only thing I can think of is was the reaction to them trying to make the Inhumans, the new X-Men really so bad from the fans and in the comics that they just backpedaled. It's like what other what other motivation could there be to like derail this in such a major way yeah i agree it's like it's it's a it's it's not the typical marvel that we see um and i i can't figure it out like i I don't i don't know what it is i don't know what what happened or what went wrong um uh, so like seemingly everything yeah and (laughs) and that doesn't happen with marvel you know or at least it, it, it hasn't and so, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go in to the show with like again, like I said, like no expectations. So I'm I'm just gonna try to take it for what it is at this point. Like, there's nothing else we can do, I guess. You know, just sort of go in and just evaluate. Honestly, it's just. It's just like as a the journalist in me, you know, is like very much just like what? Like there's a story here and I want to know it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this didn't just happen this way. There's there, you know, like there has to be some fucking smoking gun that got us here. So there's an article on Forbes by Paul Tassie who wrote basically an editorial about inhumans and he he had he had some pretty scathing things to say about the show uh and it it informs a lot of 
sort of what we're talking about here and the weirdness that surrounds this entire thing. He brings up some really good points, and I'll read a little bit from uh, from his uh, article here. The trailer was terrible, looking like a low-budget, straight-to-DVD film rather than something meant to be a part of the usually high-quality MCU. Early reception to the pilot by TV critics has been poor, uh, which culminated in an incredibly awkward panel with the cast and crew who deflected all questions about the show's quality, which we just talked about. Uh, Beside all this, Marvel's rollout for the show has flat-out bizarre, as the studio is obsessed with the idea that Inhumans should somehow be an IMAX theatrical event. This led to a situation where the first two episodes of the show were shot on an accelerated production schedule over, over just 20 days, an absolutely crazy amount of time to shoot with bulky, unwieldy, costly IMAX cameras. All of that we already discussed. The, the key point that he brings up that I really can't understand is the following. And, and this is kind of scathing. The show being bad is obviously the most pressing problem. And again, it's bizarre that Marvel would turn to Scott Buck, the showrunner for Iron Fist, the most universally despised addition to the MCU <laughs> since, since its inception, to helm this project. The answer to this question is most likely he was free. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. Ouch. And one of the only showrunners who was handy to work on the insanely tight production schedule of Inhumans, a show being rushed to air for reasons I can't possibly comprehend. Does it need to come out before S.H.I.E.L.D. comes back because of a tie-in? Is it trying to get out ahead of a specific MCU film? None of this makes much sense, but from all accounts, the final product has suffered as a result. Now, the question of Scott Buck as the showrunner has really intrigued me. Because, obviously, Iron Fist wasn't well-received. And, obviously, Marvel had to know that there were some weird things going on with that show as they were seeing the dailies. Why did they choose Scott Buck to be the guy behind this project? Like, it's got to just be that, right? Like they He was free? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, do they have a relationship with him? Like, maybe he was contracted to do two seasons of Iron Fist and they don't want him to do a second season of Iron Fist. So maybe this was like a way to shuffle him onto another project meet their contractual obligation where he can do another season of a show. And to the point that was made earlier, you know, by one of these articles is that it seems that their goal was something that was quick and cheap. And if you don't really care about the quality, like who cares who's running it? You know, like it really doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just really strange that Marvel would take something that had an opportunity to be truly great and make it so bad. So, like, let's think about this, right? A movie has a massive budget. And that's where you can you can afford to pay actors like Vin Diesel, who's going to come with a huge price tag, to play any character, right? But they've got a relationship with him. He plays Groot. He's gung-ho about playing Black Bolt. That's a lock. You can build a movie around that. Right. All these other characters, you can get movie actors to play them, and you can do something big. It seems like they always wanted to make something cinematic with the Inhumans, but once the idea was scrapped for a film, they didn't lose that idea of doing something cinematic, and so they decided, hey, all right, let's take the first two episodes and make it an IMAX experience. 
Because all of that was already in place. Because they already had the deal to shoot with IMAX cameras for IMAX screens. For a movie that they're no longer making. So they're turning the first two episodes into a movie, which doesn't work. Because they don't have, they don't even have movie actors. I just don't. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, they don't have movie budget. They don't have movie time to shoot with IMAX screens. This is the weirdest uh, production ever by Marvel. And the thing that's just so weird is that the original timeline for it was three years from now. So, like, why why did they push it up so far, too? You know, like, why why couldn't it just come out as a TV show in 2020 and take its fucking time and actually be good? Yeah, I, I just... There's just some piece of this puzzle that we're missing, you know? Well, okay, so... Actually, initially, uh, Inhumans was supposed to come out in 2018. But then, when Spider-Man Homecoming was announced, uh, they they pushed it back to 2019. Then, the idea was that it would get delayed again because of Indiana Jones, the announcement of a new Indiana Jones movie coming out in 2019. Uh, Kevin Feige suggested that the, that the date might be delayed again. Then... Uh, in 2016, Disney removed the picture from its production schedule. And then uh, in 2016, again, comicbook.com gave a report citing how Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. now had more room to use in human characters on its show. And then Kevin Feige, uh, at the tail end of 2016, told Screen Rant that the movie could happen uh, in Phase 4. So it got it went from being something that would release next year to something that was possibly going to come out in phase four, which doesn't start until 2019. So it's just they're all surrounding this project. There are questions, big questions about why this happened and what went so wrong. And I'm wondering, maybe you're right. Maybe it does have to do with fan backlash. Who knows? And, I, and that's the thing is like I'm not even saying that that makes sense. It's just like what else could it fucking be? You know, like what is it that got this so far off track and to the point where they're clearly making decisions that are like whatever, you know, that are very much like let's just do this. Like we got to get this out and it needs to be done. And it's like, but why? Why do you need to get it out now? Why do you need it to be quick and cheap when you're talking about fucking Disney? You know, they have the resources to hire good people. Like, we've seen them do it time and time again. You know, like they built this whole Netflix series out of nothing. You know, like they, they rebounded and made Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. good. Or at least good enough to warrant multiple seasons and people giving a shit about it. So why is this being seemingly rushed out to die? I just don't. I just don't get it. You know, like it were the contracts in place. Are they, have they decided that they're just going to give up on the inhumans? Are they going to put this out and be like, yeah, nobody cares about the inhumans. It's fine. Like, are they trying to, you know what I mean? Like, are they star foxing this shit? Or like, is this like, I, I just don't know. You know, did they, did they work it out in such a way where they can make this for literally next to nothing? And then they think that they can double down and fix it later. Like, I, I actually had had that thought. What if, this is serving as an introduction, almost a primer for the Inhumans. And then they'll they'll do one season, get out, and make a movie 
in phase four because they already maybe they already had to do something because they had a contract with IMAX. Maybe there was something set up that was that they couldn't get out of. And so they're going to do this and then maybe do the movie down the road. It's not Marvel like at all, but none of this is. No, right. That's And that's the thing, right, is because none of this is and because Marvel is so calculating about everything and does things in a very, like, predictable way, there has to be something going on here. There's a reason that this is just so tortured. Uh, I don't think they're going to – like, it. it isn't the Marvel custom, so, like, like everything here is a wild card, you know? Like – can they maybe make a movie after this? I guess. Would they fans want that? I, I guess. But I don't think it's a, a smart move. And again, we have to wait for the show like to come out. But where it stands, I don't have like similar to like the the Justice League stuff. Like where it stands now, I don't have faith that it's gonna be something extraordinary or even that good to warrant like a, like another film like a follow-up or anything so i, I don't know man I gotta i gotta wait and see i feel like if anything i could see them farting out this first season and then being able to come back and do a second season yeah I mean, at they the did least that with agents of shield yeah at the least right? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think you're probably right, Marco, in that if this first season is bad, and again, I don't want it to be. I'm not wishing for yeah. that. Just talking about what are the facts and what's what's present, and then talking about the missing information, which seems it seems um, deliberately absent. That there's something going on here that they're not talking about. Uh, but I agree that if this goes south. Nobody is going to want to watch a movie based on something that they just saw or didn't even care about to see that was awful. Yeah, especially if they've only heard that it's bad, right? Because, like, there's so many people I know who didn't watch Iron Fist just because it got bad reviews. And, like, you know, I don't know. Like, your mileage may vary on that series, but I don't think it was so bad that you shouldn't watch it. You know, like if you're a fan of the MC, uh, the Marvel Netflix stuff, right? And you're interested in Defenders and you want to have the full puzzle, like it was, it was definitely a watchable show. And if this comes out and people are like, it's abysmal, no one's going to fucking watch it. There's so much on TV right now. Like there's no room for, we talk about this on the fucking video game pals all the time, right? Like there's no room for mediocre stuff. You know, like if a show that I thought was like solid, Iron Fist is getting, like, torn down for being mediocre, right? Like, is there room for a show that's way fucking worse than that? Like, definitely not, you know? And it's like, I care about the MCU, and I don't watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for the same reason, of that I've just heard it's okay. And it's like, well, okay, fuck it then. (laughs) There There aren't enough hours in the day for entertainment to watch something that's not high quality. Yeah, something that doesn't grab you. And... This is kind of my final like point about this, but the Inhumans aren't Luke Cage. They're not Jessica Jones. They're not Daredevil. They're not S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. They're none of those things. They have big powers. 
diverse power sets. Their stories are epic and they belong on the big screen. And it isn't to say that any of the aforementioned characters couldn't support a film. Obviously, they could. And the storytelling on these shows, specifically the Netflix ones, have proven that good stories can be told with these characters. But the difference is that those characters can survive and thrive on the small screen, as proven. Whereas the Inhumans, could it be done? Yeah, it it probably could be done. Is it the right move? Absolutely not. The same way you would never say that you should do a straight-up Avengers show or a straight-up X-Men show with, like, Wolverine and Storm and Cyclops. You should never do that on television. This is not something that should be done. Yeah, I I think the only – and I I just want to put in this caveat. The only way I think that works is if it's, like, HBO. Like, it's got to be premium television, not cable. You know, like, you need a big budget. You need a place where you can really invest money, you know? Even then, man, you look at like you look at Game of Thrones, the most uh, costly television show of all time, I believe. Uh, That's probably true. Yeah, they don't have even close to a movie budget. They've got dragons on that show that they can't even show all the time because of budget restrictions. So how the hell are you going to portray Medusa's hair that's constantly moving in the comics? How do you portray Lockjaw, who's a constant presence and cannot be portrayed by a real dog? Right. Yeah, and and that's valid. I I think the only thing I would say is as Game of Thrones has progressed, its its budgets have increased. And like now there's a dragon in every episode and like you watch you're watching them do things. And like, yeah, you're right, though. It's like that's not a thing that just happened season one. Right. And and they got there because the show was good and because it was high quality from the first episode when they had none of that, Mm -hmm. when it was just people. And the Inhumans are not just people. You cannot do this and make it work on the small screen with the butt. And it's not even like it's ABC. There, it's just not going to happen. And so, unfortunately, if you're a fan of the Inhumans, I don't want I'm, I'm not the bearer of bad news. I'm not trying to be that. But as a as a fan of the Inhumans, I'm prepared for the worst. And I'm going to go see it in IMAX. I'm going to do that. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and support something that I I hope is good. But if it isn't good, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And unfortunately, no one else is either. And it's going to be a black mark on Marvel's um, track record if this is not good. If it's not really good. If it's even okay, then That's fine. Marvel... It's, it's not. Because of how bad the press and the rep has been for this show. Oh, you mean like people will tear it down yeah. as if it was – yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I, I I guess my point is if it's okay, I think it will have a similar trajectory of Iron Fist where, yeah, critics raised it, but there will be people who watch it and defended it. And as long as it gets viewership, that's all that really matters. You know, like critics liking something is great, but it's more important if people like it than if critics like it. You know, you don't you need to look any further than something like The Big Bang Theory, right, which is like constantly – torn down by critics but like ever it's one of the most watched shows on television so it still makes its money right like that's what's important if people watch it and go to bat for it it'll survive long enough for a season two i would love to see that take place my fear is that the word of mouth has been so unbelievably awful that people won't even give it a chance those i i, I suspect that those imax screenings are going to be empty man 
I think you're right. And I, I think you don't need to look any further than like Legion, which is a show that everyone says is really good and no one's still watching it. That like, why would anyone watch this if I mean, everyone hates it? I, I mean, with that case, like it's also not being pushed as much as this show, you know, so it's maybe not as much in like that's fair in the, in the public eye. And because there is so much of a stink around this, it's getting more press. So, you know, it's like a it's a combination of things for for uh, for the inhumans, at least. Yeah. And I think to Sean's point, like people are waiting for Marvel to fail. You know, like, I think a lot of people were like, oh, is Iron Fist their first big failure? And it's like, yeah, but like, it wasn't. Like, yeah, sure, it got panned, but like, season two is happening. It made money. Like, it's fine. You know, that franchise is going to continue uh, and hopefully improve. Whereas, like, having something come out and really, truly bomb, Marvel's never done. Exactly. Uh, so, we can, we can wrap this conversation up with hope for the best. Uh, prepare Expect for the worst. The worst. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So that's going to do it uh, for this. I, I do, before we jump, I do want to talk because I promised I would. I just want to do a quick uh, Sean soapbox about Marvel Generations uh, Jean Grey Phoenix. Oh, okay. Just to let you guys know what I thought about it. I, I, I just remembered that I should talk about it. So I just want to briefly give you my thoughts. I really, really, really loved it. Um, Jean Grey is such a special character. A lot of people dislike her. A lot of people don't understand the character. Uh, and this book, if you, you know, if you have interest in her, but you're not, uh, you don't really get her, this is a great book for that. Um, it takes young Jean, who's been thrust into the future, and a Jean Grey who was inhabited by the Phoenix Force from the period just before she becomes Dark Phoenix and puts them together in an adventure that is bittersweet in a lot of ways for a fan like myself of uh, Jean Grey. Um, that really gives you insight into how Jean Grey was this perfect person on the outside, but completely fragile on the inside, torn apart by something she had no control over at all. And was doomed, and um, and and the, and this new gene, this future gene, um, trying to avoid that same fate. So it, it's really it's really impressive by Cullen Bunn. He did a good job. Um, and then of course uh, you've got. Let me just credit the artist uh, really quick. It's uh, R. B. Silva who did a great job as well. So really good stuff. I really loved it. And that, that's my take on that. That's, you know, that's my, that's, that's the biggest book released this summer for me. So I just wanted to get that out there. Um, Good topic of the show. <laughs> uh, so yeah, let's do some plugs, Pete. Cool. All right, guys. Thank you again for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. Uh, make sure you tune in tomorrow for the Video Game Pals if you are a gamer and you haven't checked out the show. Uh, it's a great little show that me and Sean do, but we will not be on it because we will be attending FlameCon. So uh, Andy and Thompson are going to be holding down the fort. Andy's back from his uh, week off to move to law school. So, um, yeah, come tune in. Enjoy that. Uh, and then please, again, check out our History of the Defenders video. We worked so hard on it. We would really love to hear from you about what you think of it, what you'd like to see us do for future episodes uh, or any other YouTube content moving forward. Um, it would mean a lot to me if you'd check it out and give us some feedback. And then if you want to connect with me on social media, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Get at me. Awesome. Marco? 
you can find me on Instagram at woe is Marco and on Twitter at woe is Marco. Um, I'd like to plug, um, the former, uh, the, the former pal, Phil Casey. Um, he will be actually, no, that's a lie. He won't be missed. Um, but exactly. if you do want to see his past tweets and his Instagram, you can follow him at cyborg beepup, um, at on Twitter and uh, um, uh, 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 hold, shut up for a minute, Marco. <laughs> uh, if you want to follow Kale on uh, Twitter and Instagram, you can follow uh, at t o t o i n g o t o. It's t o t o i n t o w. You can check out his comics at Comicsology, Kill Ward from the Deep, and uh, Panels Publishing. Check it out. Um, so let us know what you guys think about the Inhumans and whether or not you're looking forward to it and whether or not you'll be sitting next to me when it debuts in a few weeks on IMAX screens. You can do that by reaching out to us on iTunes where you can also leave us a rating of your choice. Uh, and then, of course, all other social media platforms or podcast hosting platforms. We're also on social media uh, at the Comics Pals, wherever you like to peruse uh, social media. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And last but certainly not least, we are on YouTube where you can watch our History of the Defenders video. Let us know what you think about it, what you think about the Defenders, and whether or not you'd like to see us do more videos in that vein. Of course, subscribe. Help us get to 100 subscribers. That's the goal right now. We'd love to get to 100 subscribers on YouTube. So if you can do us a favor, even if you don't never have listened to our show before on YouTube, jump over there, Comics Pals. Hit that subscribe button. We'd really appreciate it. The same. My uh, my self esteem is directly tied to those subscriptions. So please <laughs> make make Pete a happy boy. I don't have self esteem, but <laughs> I would still like it if you subscribed and liked the video. Uh, and then, of course, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Soapbox, where we can share our love of all things Jean Grey exclusively don't message me about anything else thanks uh and with that we're the comics pal signing off take care guys bye see you next week miss you love you miss you mean it